Chapter 6, Part 6 of The Legends of the Jews, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by M. L. Cohen, Cleveland, Ohio, July 2007. The Legends of the Jews, Volume 1, by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg. Jacob with Laban Rachel's coming to the well at the moment when Jacob reached the territory belonging to Haran was an auspicious omen. To meet young maidens on first entering a city is a sure sign that fortune is favorable to one's undertakings. Experience proves this through Eliezer, Jacob, Moses, and Saul. They all encountered maidens when they approached the place new to them, and they all met with success. Jacob treated Rachel at once as his cousin, which caused significant whispering among the bystanders. They censored Jacob for his demeanor towards her, for since God had sent the deludes upon the world on account of the immoral life led by men, great chastity had prevailed, especially among the people of the East. The talk of the men reduced Jacob to tears. Scarcely had he kissed Rachel when he began to weep, for he repented of having done it. There was reason enough for tears. Jacob could not but remember sadly that Eliezer, his grandfather's slave, had brought ten camels laden with presents with him to Haran, when he came to sue for the bride of Isaac, while he had not even a ring to give to Rachel. Moreover, he foresaw that his favorite wife Rachel would not lie beside him in the grave, and this, too, made him weep. As soon as Rachel heard that Jacob was her cousin, she ran home to tell her father about his coming. Her mother was no longer among the living, else she would naturally have gone to her. In great haste Laban ran to receive Jacob. He reflected, if Eliezer the bondman had come with ten camels, what would not the favorite son of the family bring with him? And when he saw Jacob was unattended, he concluded that he carried great sums of money in his girdle and he threw his arms about his waist to find out whether his supposition was true. Disappointed in this, he yet did not give up hope that his nephew Jacob was a man of substance. Perhaps he concealed precious stones in his mouth, and he kissed him in order to find out whether he had guessed aright. But Jacob said to him, Thou thinkest I have money, nay, thou art mistaken, I have but words. Then he went on to tell him how it had come about that he stood before him empty-handed. He said that his father Isaac had sent him on his way provided with gold, silver, and money, but he had encountered Eliphaz, who had threatened to slay him. To this assailant Jacob had spoken thus, Know that the descendants of Abraham have an obligation to meet. They will have to serve four hundred years in a land that is not theirs. If thou slayest me, then you the seed of Esau, will have to pay the debt. It were better, therefore, to take all I have and spare my life, so that what is owing may be paid by me. Hence, Jacob continued, I stand before thee bare of all the substance carried off by Eliphaz. This tale of his nephew's poverty filled Laban with dismay. What, he exclaimed, shall I have to give food and drink for a month, or perhaps even a year to this fellow who has come to me empty-handed? He betook himself to his teraphim, 
to ask them for counsel upon the matter, and they admonished him, saying, Beware of sending him away from thy house. His star and his constellation are so lucky that good fortune will attend all his undertakings, and for his sake the blessing of the Lord will rest upon all thou dost, in thy house or in thy field. Laban was satisfied with the advice of the teraphim, but he was embarrassed as to the way in which he was to attach Jacob to his house. He did not venture to offer him service, lest Jacob's conditions be impossible of fulfillment. Again he resorted to the teraphim and asked them with what reward to tempt his nephew, and they replied, A wife is his wage. He will ask nothing else of thee but a wife. It is his nature to be attracted by women, and whenever he threatens to leave thee, do but offer him another wife, and he will not depart. Laban went back to Jacob and said, Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And he replied, Thinkest thou I came hither to make money? I came only to get me a wife. For Jacob had no sooner beheld Rachel that he fell in love with her and made her a proposal of marriage. Rachel consented, but added the warning, My father is cunning, and thou art not his match. Jacob, I am his brother in cunning. Rachel, but is deception becoming unto the pious? Jacob, yes, with the righteous righteousness is seemly, and with the deceiver deception. But, continued Jacob, tell me wherein he may deal cunningly with me. Rachel, I have an older sister whom he desires to see married before me, and he will try to palm her off on thee instead of me. To be prepared for Laban's trickery, Jacob and Rachel agreed upon a sign by which he would recognize her in the nuptial night. Thus warned to be on his guard against Laban, Jacob worded his agreement with him regarding his marriage to Rachel with such precision that no room was left for distortion or guile. Jacob said, I know that the people of this place are knaves, therefore I desire to put the matter very clearly to thee. I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, hence not Leah, for thy daughter that thou bringest me not some other woman likewise named Rachel, for the younger daughter that thou exchangest not their names in the meantime. Nothing of all this availed. It profits not if a villain is cast into a sawmill. Neither force nor gentle words can circumvent a rascal. Laban deceived not only Jacob, but also the guests whom he invited to the wedding. The Legends of the Jews, Volume 1, by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg. The Marriage of Jacob After Jacob had served Laban seven years, he said to his uncle, the Lord destined me to be the father of twelve tribes. I am now eighty-four years old, and if I do not take thought of the matter now, when can I? Thereupon Laban consented to let him have his daughter Rachel to wife, and he was married forty-four years after his brother Esau. The Lord often defers the happiness of the pious, while he permits the wicked to enjoy the fulfillment of their desires soon. Esau, however, had purposely chosen his fortieth year for his marriage. He had wanted to indicate that he was walking in the footsteps of his father Isaac, who had likewise married at forty years of age. Esau was like a swine that stretches out its feet when it lies down, to show that it is cloven-footed like the clean animals, 
though it is none the less one of the unclean animals. Until his fortieth year, Esau made a practice of violating the wives of other men, and then at his marriage he acted as though he were following the example of his pious father. Accordingly, the woman he married was one of his own kind, Judith, the daughter of Heth, for God said, This one, who is designed for stubble to be burnt by fire, shall take unto wife one of a people also destined for utter destruction. They, Esau and his wife, illustrated the saying, Not for naught does the raven concert with the crow, they are birds of a feather. Far different it was with Jacob. He married the two pious and lovely sisters, Leah and Rachel. For Leah, like her younger sister, was beautiful of countenance, form, and stature. She had but one defect. Her eyes were weak, and this malady she had brought down upon herself through her own action. Laban, who had two daughters, and Rebekah, his sister, who had two sons, had agreed by letter, while their children were still young, that the older son of the one was to marry the older daughter of the other, and the younger son the younger daughter. When Leah grew to maidenhood, and inquired about her future husband, all her tidings spoke of his villainous character, and she wept over her fate until her eyelashes dropped from their lids. But Rachel grew more and more beautiful day by day, for all who spoke of Jacob praised and extolled him, and, quote, good tidings make the bones fat. In view of the agreement between Laban and Rebekah, Jacob refused to marry the older daughter Leah. As it was, Esau was his mortal enemy, on account of what had happened regarding the birthright and the paternal blessing. If now Jacob married the maiden appointed for him, Esau would never forgive his younger brother. Therefore Jacob resolved to take to wife Rachel, the younger daughter of his uncle. Laban was of another mind. He purposed to marry of his older daughter first, for he knew that Jacob would consent to serve him a second period of seven years for love of Rachel. On the day of the wedding, he assembled the inhabitants of Haran and addressed them as follows. Ye know well that we used to suffer from lack of water, and as soon as this pious man Jacob came to dwell among us, we had water in abundance. What hast thou in mind to do? they asked Laban. He replied, If ye have naught to say against it, I will deceive him and give him Leah to wife. He loves Rachel with an exceeding great love, and for her sake he will tarry with us yet seven other years. Do as it pleaseth thee, his friend said. Well then, said Laban, let each one of you give me a pledge that you will not betray my purpose. With the pledges they left with him, Laban bought wine, oil, and meat for the wedding feast, and he set a meal before them, which they had themselves paid for. Because he deceived his fellow citizens thus, Laban is called Arami, the deceiver. They feasted all day long until late at night, and when Jacob expressed his astonishment at the attention shown him, they said to him, Through thy piety thou didst a great service of loving kindness unto us. Our supply of water was increased unto abundance, and we desire to show our gratitude therefore. And, indeed, they tried to give him a hint of Laban's purpose. In the marriage odes which they sang, they used a refrain, Haliah, in the hope that he will understand it as Haliah. This is Leah. But Jacob was unsuspicious and noticed nothing. When the bride was led into the nuptial chamber, the guest extinguished all candles, much to Jacob's amazement. 
but their explanation satisfied him. Thinkest thou, they said, we have as little sense of decency as thy countrymen? Jacob, therefore, did not discover the deception practiced upon him until morning. During the night, Leah responded whenever he called Rachel, for which he reproached her bitterly when daylight came. O oh, thou deceiver, thou daughter of a deceiver, why didst thou answer me when I called Rachel's name? Is there a teacher without a pupil? asked Leah in return. I but profited by thy instruction. When thy father called thee Esau, did thou not say, Here am I? Jacob was greatly enraged against Laban, and he said to him, Why didst thou deal treacherously with me? Take back thy daughter, and let me depart, seeing thou didst act wickedly towards me. Laban pacified him, however, saying, It is not so done in our place to give the younger before the firstborn. And Jacob agreed to serve yet seven other years for Rachel. And after the seven days of the feast of Leah's wedding were fulfilled, he married Rachel. With Leah and Rachel, Jacob received the handmaids Zilpah and Bilhah, two other daughters of Laban, whom his concubines had borne unto him. End of chapter 6, part 6